You know, the world right now is a really unsettled place. And for such a time as this, women play a most important role in history as peacemakers. The goal of Ladies of Liberty Sound Off is to affect the lives of women in an empowering way through discussion of important issues of the day. So, are you ready? The Ladies of Liberty are ready to sound off. Welcome to Ladies of Liberty Sound Off. I'm going to do something I don't usually do, Bernadette, which is to introduce you out front in the show. And the reason is I want people to get a perspective for who you are and the experience that you have. Um, you are a retired law enforcement officer with 35 years of law enforcement experience, including being the police of chief. Oh, I'm sorry. I'll, let me edit that and I'll just start over. I'm going to do something that I don't usually do, Bernadette, at the beginning of the show, and that is to introduce you. And the reason I'm going to do that is because I want people to understand your qualifications and your experience to have the conversation we're about to have regarding law enforcement. So you are retired with 35 years of law enforcement experience, including being police chief at two different agencies, Ocean City, Maryland and Sarasota, Florida. You were a SWAT commander and you graduated from the FBI National Academy. So you also are an instructor for firearms, defensive tactics, community policing, and personal safety. So I think that you have a few things that you can speak to with good authority. And um, this is Bernadette DePino, former chief of police in two different departments. I am Linda Martinelli. I am simply a business owner, but I do have a law enforcement background as well. And uh did not stay certainly or become a chief of police as long as Bernadette did. But um, I had an opportunity early in my career to go into a private company and um, start my own business and do fairly well for myself. So that's what I ended up doing. But uh, I want to talk, Bernadette, today about what we're seeing in law enforcement what we're seeing with the defund the police movements, the progressive left district attorneys and judges, and what effect that is having on crime and on just citizens, just normal citizens. I certainly have my opinions. I want to hear yours. Now, I'm so concerned about the defund the police words that are going around. It's a, a, a left wing part of our government and elected officials mantra about defunding the police. And it was really a knee jerk reaction to the murder of George Floyd. And instead of people doing research and doing their homework and actually getting facts, what they did was they immediately jumped to, we had this one incident, which was really isolated. And when you look at the statistics where law enforcement actually engages with millions of people throughout the year, Hundreds and thousands of people a day are encountering police officers. And the number of times that police officers actually use force, let alone deadly force, is so minuscule compared to the encounters. It was such a negative knee-jerk reaction to an incident that was isolated and unique. And while horrific and horrible, was not what policing is about or not what 99.9% .9 of law enforcement officers do every single day when they encounter the public. So this defund the police 
attitude and verbiage and were actually cities like Seattle and major cities took huge, significant budgets away from law enforcement. What that did is it actually made our communities not as safe. And here's how. First, the majority of budgets, having been a police chief in two different locations, as you told the, our audience, our budgets are, the majority is made up of funding personnel costs. About 90% of my budget, maybe even higher, went to pay and salary and, you know, for policing, as well as equipment for police officers, like, like cars and gas and electric for the buildings and, you know, all of the things, uniforms that a police officer needs. So a very small percentage of our budget goes into other specialties um, for policing. And, um, and most people don't realize that. So when you take a significant chunk out of a budget of a police department, what you're doing is you're cutting the number of police officers that are on the street, which actually reduces the number of officers that are available to respond to you or that are proactively patrolling. And I truly believe that police presence, seeing a police officer does reduce crime, does restrict uh, criminals. You can't go out and ask, hey, you would have robbed that 7-Eleven if you didn't see a police officer there. You can't ask the bad guys those kind of questions. Um, but defunding the police is absolutely the wrong thing for law enforcement. What it's done is it's one, it's demoralized police because they don't get paid a lot of money anyway. So now they don't feel appreciated because that's a purposeful job and feeling appreciated for what you do is a number one thing that police officers look for when they when they go into the profession. So now they're demoralized because they don't feel supported. Number two is recruiting of people to go into law enforcement because they've reduced jobs. People that can retire have left their occupations. And now you don't have people to come backfill from the officers who are so demoralized. They're like, okay, I'm going to retire. Even though I love this job, I'm going to go and do something else because it's more dangerous for police. They're not being supported when they're being assaulted. They're actually, I mean, there were videos I saw of police officers having water thrown at them and poured on them and, and no, there's no outrage um, from anyone. And, and so retention and recruitment are down. And then what that does is it causes also police officers to become hesitant in responding to doing proactive things because they know as soon as they do something proactive and it goes bad, then what happens is they're scrutinized, their life, their liberty and their job and everything is put on the line and they're being charged with crimes. So now you have police officers that are out doing their jobs, trying to um, do the right things. And it's a split second decision when you have to make a decision about whether to shoot or to use force. It's not like the officer anticipates it and says, oh, I can shoot that person in the arm, which is a whole nother topic. Uh, un police are not able to do that. It, it's hard enough to shoot someone um, and, and, and they're fighting and running and your adrenaline's pumping. So what this has done is it's made our communities not as safe and you're seeing crime rates go up and you're seeing less people going to jail and they changed bail reform, which is, again, a whole other topic. So defunding the police has actually made our society less safe. It's made police officers less likely to respond to crimes and also uh, uh, how they react to crimes because they know they could get in trouble. So they're not going to be proactive and do things to be, be able to keep our community safe, which is a significant part of smart policing. Well, you're you're right on 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 every single thing. And, you know, the, the thing that I would add um, is is that when we lose all the officers that we have lost, we, we've lost so many by uh, they, they just took early retirements when they started defunding the police, when they started, stopped backing their play, when they they 
you know, went against them and they start prosecuting them for things. My husband is a forensic criminologist. He, he defends officers um, in, in these accusations over and over again. And you see the, um, ju- just the absolute, oh, the, the, the wrongness of the accusations. These are people that have no idea what they're talking about. They're attorneys often that don't have any uh, experience in police work or in, in crime or in understanding what an officer is dealing with. And, and he has to go in and defend them. And you, and you see um, just everything that's happening in, in police work. But when we lose these officers in so many ways, many have quit They've taken early retirement. They've transferred out of big cities like New York to, to smaller cities. The, the vacuum that is left in lack of experience in the officers that are left is absolutely uh, just disastrous because it takes a lot of years. Forget just the training, okay? Just the training that they go through can be six months to a year. But then, then they have to have an, uh, a field training officer, an FTO, and they have to be on probation and they have to get through that. And then at that point, they're still new. It takes years of experience and um, mentorship from other officers that have experience to teach them the, the, the right things to do, the things to look for, you know, the, the, the ways to solve crimes. And that's what we're losing just in spades here. We are just losing that experience. Then you get a lot of new officers on departments and some departments have officers that virtually all the officers have been there less than seven years. That That is just a, uh, it's just a disaster because they don't have those mentors to teach them and the experience that they can draw from. So, so we get a whole different type of law enforcement. You're a hundred percent right on everything. And and that vacuum of experience and wisdom that comes from years of service as a police officer, you're constantly learning on the job. And when I first became a police officer, after I graduated from the police academy, I'll never forget my first field training officer, Mike Newberry. He taught me so many nuances to being a police officer. He told me where the high crime areas were, how to be more safe when I was on the road how to talk to people. I was a new officer. I didn't even know how to engage in a conversation. So that maturity is being lost. And then when I went into a specialty unit, I had Mike Downs and Mark Fritz and Bob Jago, three guys that helped develop even more investigative skills. So over the years, you gain these mentors. And when you lose this in this vacuum of of all these experienced officers, what you're left with are very young, immature, inexperienced officers who are going to make a lot of mistakes. Because they haven't had the mentors and being able to see the appropriate way of handling things. And I'll tell you something else. When I was the chief in Sarasota, we had a lot of protests after the murder of George Floyd. And every one of them ended up being peaceful. I met with people that were the leaders of the different um, organizations that were protesting. And when I sat in a room to hear what their grievances were, to hear what they were upset about, They didn't even realize all of the things that we already had in place in our police agency. They were demanding oversight of police use of force. I said, we do that. I make officers write a use of force. 
and no matter what, if they point a gun at somebody, even if they don't shoot someone, you must do a use of force report. Uh, oh, I didn't know that. I said, and, and, you know, we actually do training and we do reviews and we also have um, red flags. So if we see an officer use force so many times and maybe had a, a traffic crash, we had this uh, a certain gauge that we would set up and we knew if a police officer hit certain points, we would go and we would review what happened to make sure that that officer wasn't going down the wrong road. And we would send them the training if we felt they were. Um, we also had supervisors reviewing use of force. We, we moved it up so several levels would review it. And I also mandated that police officers respond um, uh, to use of force, that their supervisors go there or if they anticipate force is going to be used. So they had no idea these things were being done, including that we had a civilian board that would review all the use of force. So a lot of the community doesn't even know what the police departments are doing right now to ensure appropriate use of force, appropriate police tactics, and they were surprised. And so I, I had started a poli Citizens Police Academy a long time ago, and that was one of the things I suggest that they attend the Citizens Academy. And I encourage citizens that are listening, find out if your police departments have a Citizens Academy, attend it. It opens up your eyes as to what police officers do and how they do their jobs. Okay. You know, I, I have so many different things and, and things I want to discuss with you about this. The first thing is in our conversation twice, you've mentioned the murder of George Floyd. And, and I want to know if you think that, that, that George Floyd was murdered by that police officer, because I have a completely different view of that. Well, you know, the, the first thing is, is when everybody asks me that question after it happens, my answer has always been, I don't know enough about the case and haven't seen enough about the case to actually make an intelligent judgment on that case. Um, I What I saw was a police officer who didn't have empathy, who didn't um, have sympathy for a person that was on the ground. And I also know tactics wise. He wasn't using appropriate tactics because I taught defensive tactics and our officers always put somebody into a recovery position, especially if we know they were under the influence of drugs or alcohol so that it doesn't cause their diaphragm to um, uh, not expand so they can breathe. So you sit somebody up. And that was what that one young officer actually did uh, suggest to the officers. Shouldn't we put him in a recovery position? And it, he didn't. And I I don't know the facts of what the autopsy shows. I don't know if they were influenced by how the outrage that people um, had. Um, uh, and the reason I call it murder is because he was convicted of murder. And uh, so that's why I call it the, the murder of George Floyd. A jury looked at the, the facts and they made it the, the decision. What I look at at that case is what led that officer to become so callous and so jaded that over his career, that he lacked compassion, even for somebody that fights with a, uh, a police officer. I This is something I always taught. And and I guess it comes from my background. I, I learned it from my dad and my grandfather. And I passed it on to my daughter. Is that, you know, every single person just by the by the grace of God, there go I. Um, anybody could be in that position. We have to realize they're human beings. I don't think that he treated um, uh, George Floyd appropriately. And, and and something changed in that officer's career. Something happened where he was allowed to continue that behavior. He wasn't given counseling. He wasn't given the proper training. Somebody wasn't reviewing and looking at him and saying, why is this officer acting this way? Including, why wasn't that officer transferred to another location? Because when you work in high crime areas for long periods of time, 
you find that police officers have a tendency to turn callous. They start thinking that everyone is a criminal, that everyone is trying to hurt you because that's what you deal with day in and day out. So I would often um, transfer my officers to different locations, give them other opportunities to see that 95% of the population actually loves and supports policing. It changes their perspective. So that's why I said the George Floyd murder is because the officer was convicted of murder. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think that that's unfortunate, although I disagree with everything that the officer did, but, but there, there is no evidence that, you know, how, how they, the, the news media said that he, he put his uh, knee on his neck that, that never happened. And the autopsy showed that George Floyd had a fatal dose, actually probably three times of a fatal dose of uh, drugs in his system, fentanyl and and he he would have died no matter what. But I have no defense for uh, what the officer did. And the officer uh, in his his career had had a number of complaints. And I, I agree with you totally that he should have been uh, disciplined for those and should have been transferred uh, to another area rather than to keep him on the street when he had complaints. That would be my my beef with what they did. But he did not murder George George Floyd, and I uh, the the resulting craziness that went on from that false narrative uh, ha has destroyed so much of law enforcement, and not just law enforcement, but but people's lives. and And I want to talk about that after the break. Don't miss an episode of the Ladies of Liberty. Sound off. Subscribe to the podcast. And for the latest news and inspiration, join us back at AmericaOutloud.com. All right, you've all heard Malcolm and the great Dr. Peter McCullough talk about the pulpidone iodine-based nasal spray, Cofix RX. They talk about it because it's a product that actually works in combating colds, flus, and coronaviruses. Cofix is made in the USA and recommended by thousands of doctors and pharmacists nationwide. It's simple. By attacking viruses where they incubate, you make it easier for your body to heal. Check out the CofixRx banner ad on AmericaOutloud.com and save 20% by using promo code OUTLOUD. Trouble getting to sleep and staying asleep is infuriating. Your mind races, you toss and turn, and the harder you try, the harder it is to drift off. And today's fast-paced digital age makes it tougher. You're not alone. Poor sleep affects over 70% of us. The CDC even labeled insufficient sleep a public health epidemic. Advanced Nutrition Company, Healthy Cell, created REM sleep to help you quickly fall asleep, stay asleep, sleep deep, and wake refreshed. Unlike other supplements that don't work, REM sleep is not a pill. It's a gel you swallow with ultra-absorption of science-backed ingredients, supporting all four stages of sleep using calming herbs, amino acids, and sleep hormone support. Over a thousand reviews with an average star rating of over 4.4 proves it works. Take back your sleep. Go to HealthyCell.com and use limited time code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. Risk-free. Love it or your money back. Guaranteed. HealthyCell.com. Code OUTLOUD. HealthyCell.com. Code OUTLOUD. Welcome back to Ladies of Liberty Sound Off. And we are talking about the police, about law enforcement, about what's happening with defunding them and what the, the result is to just the population in the country, American citizens, and you know how, how it has changed uh, our lives. 
So Bernadette, what I want to say is that the thing that really frustrates me about this defund police, that they have villainized police. And, you know, this originated with the Michael Brown hands up, don't shoot, which never happened. Um, if people want to read about that, uh, my husband, Dr. Ron Martinelli, wrote the book on Black Lives Matter. It's called The Truth Behind the Black Lives Matter Movement and the War on Police. It's available on Amazon. Um the, the narrative, the false narrative that we were talking about with George Floyd was the same with Michael Brown and with a number of other cases, Trayvon Martin and, you know, Freddie Gray, a number of other cases that the narrative that you see on the news and that people then tend to believe has been a lie. So starting with hands up, don't shoot, um, that is when, you know, the, 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 the three women that started the the black lives matter movement when when they decided to to go ahead and use this opportunity uh to by the way all three women are radical socialist um marxist lesbians and those are the three women uh april tamati and uh i have to remember the other the other ladies names um but they they started black lives movement the Black Lives Matter movement at that time, which has gained a lot of steam. And then it was also uh, given even more credibility by Barack Obama and all based on a false narrative and all based on their beliefs that what their, what their goal was, was to uh, disarm, disassemble and defund law enforcement and to diminish um, the local state and the defunding, I'm sorry, the local state and the federal governments and the diminishing of our nation's democratic rule of law. They were for anarchy. That was what they were for. So this, this was a plan and it's worked pretty well, um, but that's where, where all this started. And here we are today with our officers defunded and what really upsets me is the effect that it has on everyday people's lives. So between ha not having enough police officers and not having enough well-trained police officers and not having enough uh, police officers with a lot of experience, and then you add to that these progressive district attorneys and progressive judges that are letting people out, no bail, just they, they, they can commit almost any crime and be on the street the same day. And what do they do? They re-victimize somebody else. Some innocent person um, just recently saw a, a woman push a three-year-old onto uh, a subway track. You know, the, this kind of thing that we're seeing now, take New York City, where, where you have people just, I mean, arbitrarily walking up to somebody and, and knocking them out or uh, ganging up on people and, I mean, beating them. You just never saw these things in the same way a few years ago that you see them now. And I find it shocking. And I find myself, who who has a permit to carry a gun, who, who knows how to defend myself, I, I'm still... In, 
afraid to go to places that I've never been afraid to go to. And, um, you know, I, I just think it's changed the way that we live, Bernadette. And I think that people that are not, I think, but I know people that should not be hurt are being hurt. People that should not be killed are being killed. Innocent people that are doing nothing are, are having the most horrific things happen to them. And the police can't be everywhere. And now there's not enough of them to be everywhere. And if they do react to something, they get prosecuted. It's, this is a nightmare. And, and we have made a huge mess. And this is not solvable tomorrow because it takes years to train officers to get the experience of the experienced officers that we have lost. No, I totally agree with you. That's why I started a company. It's called Bad as Women Tactical Solutions. And I teach personal, home, school, business, religious institutions, safety. And I provide training and seminars and security surveys for people and their homes. And if anybody's interested, my email account is chiefbadepino at gmail.com. Just get a hold of me and I'll be happy to teach a course. I can even do it over a Zoom or even a telephone call because we need to learn personal safety strategies for ourselves and be able to save our kids too and teach them. Now, I'm one of those people that I've been teaching my daughter how to defend herself. And I, she got a black belt in karate, taekwondo by the time she was nine years old because being a police officer and working narcotics for many years, um, I was always worried about her safety as well as my safety. So this absolutely has put all of the citizens in our country in danger. And I've heard more and more people that are interested in getting firearms. And I teach firearms also. So if anybody's interested in, in uh, going through a class, especially women, because they um, uh, they don't necessarily feel comfortable going to a male um, instructor. And uh, so uh, women are great shots and they just need confidence and, and the right trainer. But I see more and more people looking to look at self-protection and do I need a gun and do I need higher security? And this is impacting our economy also. And if you look at trying to break down our democratic society, well, you make people unsafe, you take away certain rights, you take away their freedoms. Um, uh, if you look at how um, people in, in past history have lost all of their freedoms, it was a little bit, a little chunks at a time taken away. And, and this is just another one of those chunks taken away. And people are now, they feel like, do they, I, they have to live with this? No, they don't. They can go out and vote. And I was so surprised that in the latest election, because of the economic downfalls, as well as the, the public safety reduction, you know, the increase in crime, that we didn't elect more conservative people. And look, there can be conservative Democrats, but they're electing people that have these far left agendas that are just away from what I see as America, as a, as a, our, what our country was founded on, which is family and freedom and being able to practice religion and feeling safe. And, and this hands up, don't shoot. You talked about, I, I used to go to uh, schools and read to the kids or educate kids about drug awareness and all kinds of things. And, and I would go into um, some schools and all the kids there, they, they would put their hands up because eh, don't shoot, don't shoot. And I'd, I'd have to say, oh, I'm not going to shoot you. I'm here to take care of you. Because once that type of a rumor and false narrative gets out and you add social media, which expedites and speeds information faster than I could get it out as a police chief or an, as an agency, information gets out and people believe everything they're reading. 
I, I'm just shocked at the ignorance of people saying, oh, I read it on, on Instagram or I saw it in TikTok. I saw it on Facebook. I saw it. On, that, that doesn't mean that it's true. And I just think what it's doing is it's making us an unsafe um, uh, community and society in the United States. And I think it's also attacking democracy. Yep. Well, let's talk about a false narrative. Here's a false narrative for you. A false narrative um, that we see often and, and by, you know, by politicians and by people that appear to be important in life and people that should know is that police officers kill more black men than, you know, than anybody that, that, that we have a war on uh, black people, that police officers have a war on black people and they're shooting them in crazy numbers, which is absolutely a false narrative. Absolutely false. So I'm going to give you some real facts and figures or give everybody some real facts and figures. And I'm going to take one of our uh, highest crime areas in the country with the most shootings, which is Chicago. So in the year of 2022, there were total homicides of 735 in Chicago. Of those 735, 665 were shot and killed. And shot and wounded, there were 2,937. Wrap your arms around that figure. That is a huge amount. This is primarily on the south side of Chicago. And ask yourself why on earth Lori Lightfoot would still be the mayor of that town. It's just incredible to me that they, that they keep voting this woman in. So if we out of the 665 that were shot and killed, Bernadette, the officer involved shootings that shot and killed citizens, two, two, there were 665 people killed. Two were killed by police officers. There was 20, 21 that were shot and wounded, as opposed to citizen upon citizen kill, shooting and wounding 2,937. Go ahead. That does not surprise me at all. That statistic does not shock me. And people often wonder why police officers are in certain areas in the community and that's because of those shootings and the officers are being proactive in those areas because they're trying to keep the community safe but those are the officers that are being criticized and i've got to throw one thing out to you and i i think you'll agree with me on this if you look at each and every one of the scenarios from george floyd to all of the cases the freddie gray and the michael brown all of those cases had one thing in common and that's if if the people that the police encountered would have complied and cooperated with the police officer, those people would be alive today. Each one of those individuals failed to comply with the police and they started fighting with the police officer, which ultimately led to them being killed. And whether the officer did it appropriately or inappropriately, whatever anyone's opinion is, they would still be alive if they just would have turned around and put their hands behind their back and put the handcuffs on. And sure. I've told the community that, and they, 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 at one meeting, they are, we will not comply. We will not comply. I said, this doesn't make any sense. If the police are wrong, if they make a false arrest, if they use force inappropriately, or they do something that violate your rights, you're going to be a millionaire because 
the cities are settling and giving people millions of dollars. So just comply with the police, go to jail overnight because you're going to be released right away. And you're going to make a lot of money if the police are wrong. But when they don't and they don't comply, that leads to police officers are using force. And I often tell police as well as citizens, when it comes to arresting somebody that's resisting arrest, it's not a fair fight. It's not the, you know, the queen of uh, the rules, you know, that they talk about um, uh, where people are in a boxing ring and you have to fight fairly. No, you have to place somebody under arrest. And when the person's resisting you, you're doing everything you can without trying to hurt them to get them in handcuffs and get them in a police car. And the, and the person that's fighting against you, there are no rules for them. So the police have rules right. and the people that are arresting have no rules. And then and, and, and citizens, until they put themselves in the position of a police officer, and they've done that with some citizens that were outwardly against police. I've seen police departments and sheriff's offices, including my own, who put citizens through a citizen's academy and they run through scenarios, shoot, don't shoot. Guess what? They shoot people when they shouldn't shoot people, the citizens do. And they were like, but I was scared. Yeah, but then you criticize the police officer when well, they're sure. out there. Sure. And they have some gun at them. Um, it, it's scary for it to be a police officer these days when you don't have the support of the elected officials, the citizens, and then you of the judicial system. Because when I used to go in as a police officer, I, my word was was gold, and it and it should be because I had a hot, I had integrity, and I knew that that was what made me as a police officer telling the truth. Now you go in and you are scrutinized, criticized, and you're not believed. People don't believe police officers at their word. And that is such a shame because we put police officers through higher levels of scrutiny to hire them than any other occupation that I know of. Most elected officials would never be able to become a police officer because they couldn't pass the background. Oh, check. you're absolutely right. Um, but I, you know, I want to point out that out of these victims, 95% uh, of the shooting victims in Chicago are people of color. So, so this is people of color killing other people of color. It is not the police officers who are killing them. And the people of color shot and killed 333 times more people of color than the police did. So where does this narrative come from that the police are killing them? That, 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 that's what it just shouldn't be allowed to be repeated in the media because it's it's completely false. Under Lori Lightfoot, under her tenure as mayor, there have been 2,728 murders. And why is she still in office? I don't understand. 71 of those murder victims were under the age of 17 and 12 were under the age of 13. And this is more children than were killed, say, in the Uvalde shooting, which we've heard a lot about. So, I mean, the, the point is that the, the narrative is false. And what is happening is people on these, um, these oversight boards that they decided to put in, which are citizen boards, and know nothing about police work. And oftentimes... Uh, what we found is that the people on these boards have criminal records themselves and they are, are overlooking what's happening with the police. And it, it's just, this has become a really, uh, a bad, a bad thing. And I know um, that, that when the police used to be police chiefs and, and you know, this, they used to be autonomous. They used to be, say, equal with the mayor, but they, they were separate but equal. But then at some point about, I don't know, 30, 40 years ago, they decided to make 
the, the city councils or the city commissioners or whoever be over those police chiefs and that they could fire them at, you know, their discretion. And, and that's where we're at now. And I don't think that that should have happened. I think that that really hurt law enforcement myself. Totally, totally agree with you. When you have a politician that's over top of a police chief, the politician is going to direct the police chief to policies that they want in order to get reelected. And they should do- totally be autonomous or the police chief should have the courage, which I often did to stand up and say, yes, I'm not going to do that. No, I'm, I am going to do that. Um, and it's it's outrageous to me what you said where people of color are not outraged at the number of people that are dying at the hands of people within their own community, but they get Absolutely. out a limited number of times. And look, I, I'm outraged if a police officer does something inappropriately. Believe me, I fired police officers and I hold them accountable because I'm my badge is not tarnished. I want mine shiny and I want it, um, I want, uh, you know, want it to look good because I know that people judge one police officer's action against all police officers, which is really unfair because there are there are bad apples in every single occupation. Sure. But what ends up what ends up happening when you have the people that are um, outraged and the media then puts it out because it guess what? If it if it bleeds, it leads. But I wonder if it's if it's really this. Is it maybe laziness amongst the media because they're really not digging in and getting the facts? I don't think it's laziness. I think it's politics. I think the people that are paying for the advertisements for all of these different news channels are all being influenced as this is the message that I want. And you better put that message out. And that's the shame of it, where the the media has lost integrity instead of reporting facts and doing really good investigative reports and bringing up facts and, and calming people down. No, what they do is they sensationalize it and they make it out to be worse. And people read headlines in a newspaper or on social media that makes it police kill black teen or baby. And then you look in the stories like, um, okay, the police shot a guy who was actually robbing and mugging a store and had just shot three people, <laughs> you know. And but most people don't read that whole entire story. They just read the headlines like, oh, there you go again. The police are yep. are shooting. At, at black people or, or people of color. It's, it's, I think, an irresponsibility, but I, I wonder if it's intentional. America Out Loud beats to the pulse of our nation. We know when you're angry, you're troubled, confused, glad, and thankful. We know you because we are you. Join us as we explore the most important issues of our time. We are America Out Loud Talk Radio. Liberty and justice for all. We know you love the versatility and portability of the Genesis Fogger, but sometimes you just want to set it and forget it. Well, we heard you. Introducing the UX4 HOCL Atomizer. This stationary unit quietly protects you and is perfect for smaller spaces. With over a quarter million units sold in Japan, it's now available in the United States. Visit genesisfogger.com forward slash out loud to see the UX4 in action and receive a 15% discount on either Fogger with promo code OUTLOUD. With Genesis, you're ready for anything. Well, welcome back to Ladies of Liberty Sound Off one more time. And you know, I want to talk about something, Bernadette, that that I've talked about before, but I haven't talked about it for a while. And it's something that 
that I, I think that people need to be aware of and they need to look up. And this is um, Saul Alinsky, who was a, um, he, he was, he was not a politician, he, but he, he was uh, somebody who, who wrote about socialism. He was a socialist and, and he wanted societies to go towards socialism. So he wrote way back, Alinsky's Eight Steps from Democracy to Socialist Society. And this is how you do it. Now, I want people to really pay attention to these eight steps because we are here. I mean, we are absolutely here. It's just really scary. There's eight levels of control that must be obtained before you're able to create a socialist communist state. The first is the most important. Healthcare, control healthcare, and you control the people. And aren't we there right now? I mean, the, our country, especially starting with Obamacare, is trying to control our healthcare, and and it's something that is extremely pervasive. They continue to take small steps, big steps towards controlling our healthcare, and they especially have done this during COVID. I mean, this was a big leap forward for controlling our healthcare where you had to get vaccines if you wanted to have jobs in so many different uh, professions and even in our military. Even people who had religious objections or people who had health objections that, that they didn't wanna get the vaccine um, were, were forced to get it and children in schools, schools are telling our children that they can't be in school if they don't have it. And yet this is a different kind of vaccine than say the mumps or measles vaccines. And, and it was really untested and unproven. Now I was vaccinated, but I got no boosters because I started having really bad feelings about um, the whole thing. And until I know more, I'm not doing that. But I think that everybody had the right to make that decision and our government took it away. So in healthcare, Controlling healthcare is number one. Number two is poverty. Increase the poverty level as high as possible. And that poor people are easier to control and won't fight back. Well, didn't we do that when we, uh, again, we had everybody not work during COVID and uh, now our interest rates are sky high and here we are. You know, people are, are going further and further into debt with the interest rates. The housing market is falling apart. The stock market is falling apart. So here, there we, there we are there. Number three, I'll go through these fast, Bernadette, um, increase the national debt to an unsustainable level. Oh boy, are we doing that? Right. I mean, that's yes. that, that way they can increase the taxes and that will produce more poverty. Um, gun control, gun control is one of the only ones that, and tell me if you agree is not complete. This number four is not complete. They've not been able to control our guns. They try all the time and they take baby steps and make different laws to, uh, to try to take our second amendment rights, but here we are, we still have them. Totally agree with you. They have tried. And every time there's a, some type of a shooting, they bring it up and they try to go forward to take away guns, but fortunately they haven't. And uh, I'm glad about that. That's important. Yeah, very important. And by the way, um, back in world, well, back when um, Japan attacked 
um, um, Hawaii there. And people asked them later, you know, you were so successful. Why didn't you continue on and go to the United States to the mainland? And the Japanese said that they did not go to the mainland because everybody is armed in the United States and they would have, they would have no way to fight that. And when they take our guns, then, then they can, the, then they can take over. But as long as the American citizen is able to defend themselves and has their guns, uh, they, they really can't take over. So number five is welfare. Take control of every aspect of their lives, food, livestock, housing, and income. Well, that's what they're doing with people on welfare. They've taken over every aspect of their lives, uh, their housing. They, we have, we have the, the, the government housing, uh, we give them food stamps, we pay their income. And I mean, this, this goes for the 5 million immigrants that have just come into our country too. So those people are, you know, that, 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 that whole taking over everything. And I think that what goes along with this is uh, people like Bill Gates and the Chinese coming in and buying up all of our farmland is really scary to me. I mean, that's, that's just something that we shouldn't be allowing at all. And, and that is going to take control of our food sources, which uh, will absolutely cripple America if, if we can't provide enough food. Okay. And then education. This is another one that is almost there, but it's not quite done, but boy, they made some big strides with the CRT and with the, uh, the teaching them about gender identities and so forth in schools against parents will telling parents that they uh, should not be the people to decide what their children are taught. That, that is Hitler-esque. That is what Hitler did. He decided what the children were taught when they went into uh, Austria and other countries. And that this is what they're trying to do here. They have not completely succeeded yet, but they're making good inroads. And then the last two religion, Remove faith in God from the government and schools. They're doing a great job of that. Uh, religion, church going is is uh, down by a lot, but they have not taken our religion away. And it's still a very important part of America. And the last, which is a big one, which they are doing in uh, spades right now is class warfare. Divide the people into the wealthy against the poor. Racially divide us. That will cause more discontent. And then it will be easier to tax the wealthy with the full support of the voting poor. And I have to tell you, Bernadette, I used to live in California and I moved out of California some years ago for many reasons. Uh, one was, was traffic, two was taxes, uh, crime. Th those were issues when they started letting people out of uh, prisons, the felons out of prison and the sex offenders out of prison in California. It was time for me to go. But what I realized just before I left was in looking at the voting public in California, that my vote would never matter again there because they have more people on welfare and have nots than they have people that are paying taxes. So when you have more people voting that are taking from the public dole than you have contributing to the public funds, uh, you, you, you are done. And that's what happened in California. And that's why that state has gone to hell in a handbasket. So those are the eight rules for turning a democratic society into a social society. 
it's pretty scary. It's very scary. Why do you think that so many people, including the media and a lot of the elected officials were against Donald Trump being president because he came in and he was changing all of those things back. He was allowing education to be free. People had the choice to make uh, where they wanted to send their children. He said, Merry Christmas. He brought, I mean, there was times when people, you weren't allowed to say Merry Christmas. You had to say Happy Holidays because they were scared you were going to offend somebody because you said Christmas. And I was like, I don't understand that. I celebrate Christmas. And that's because that's my the holiday I celebrate. I'm not saying it to make you celebrate Christmas. If you don't, you can say whatever you want to me. Happy Kwanzaa, Happy Hanukkah, Happy uh, Festivus, whatever it is that you celebrate over the holidays, say it. But um, uh, he was able to bring that back. And he was changing a lot of things. And he was there to change how Washington, D.C. was. And uh, believe it or not, and I think you probably do, I think that a lot of the Republicans were just as dirty as the Democrats and they play well together in that swamp, as Donald Trump often called it. And uh, and he was changing that. And that scared them because there goes their money sources. There goes their ability to get reelected. And um, and and also, which is included in these eight rules, is the denigration of family. And I don't know if a lot of people know this or not, but you look at the welfare state and you look at there's a lot of times where there's only one parent in the house. Now that's different because in the 1960s, most households that were getting welfare was a two parent household. Uh, probably 80 to 85% were two parents in a household. And there was also a way to get off of welfare. Welfare is a good state for people that are in trouble, but you hope to people get off of welfare. Nowadays, there are people that are generations of houses and they stay in the same house for a generation and they think that house is theirs, even though it's government subsidized. So for generations, that, that this is my house. No, that's that's not your house. That is actually a welfare house. And we want to help you get out and get on your own to get an education and, and have opportunities to get, to get into a house that you own on your own. But what happened was in the starting in, in the 70s, 80s, into the 90s, into the 2000s, and currently what happens now, though, is if you have a two-person house, you're not eligible necessarily for welfare. So now that's why there has to be only one parent in the house, which is actually split up the family. Um, and I, I just, I don't know if a lot of people know that. And that concerns me. If there's a mother and a father and a, and a child and, or a father and a father or a mother and a mother, whatever, a family structure, two pa parents and a child, and they can't get welfare because they're a family, that that's denigrating the family. Again, depend on the government, depend on the people that are giving you money. And guess what? You get voted and then you're empowered. Well, I have to comment on your comment about saying Merry Christmas. Um, Nancy Pelosi, it's uh, happy Schwanza. Oh, I <laughs> um, believe she said that. The, the Biden administration did take the Christmas back out of Christmas and made it happy holidays again, which didn't make me happy, but um, anyway, it you're right about the family. The, the family is so very important because, again, like our Second Amendment, another country cannot take over a country that has strong family units. And by, by doing all of the things that they are doing with forwarding the uh, gender identity uh, conversation with the LGBTQ, uh, all the stuff that they're teaching in school, they they are breaking families up in so many ways. Again, telling parents that they 
have no say in what their kids learn in school. Are you kidding me? That that would never fly with me. And I have grandkids. My grandkids will never go to a school that they teach that. If I have to homeschool them, I will do that. But they will never not have my my input and my my son and daughter-in-law's input as uh, you know what what their kids are taught. There are things that are just for parents to teach at home and parents should be teaching them. And unfortunately, a lot of parents have just abdicated that responsibility to the schools. And this is what we get. Our kids don't learn in schools, uh, which is where a lot of this is, is all from, because for the last 40 years, we've been indoctrinating our kids in schools and not paying attention. And when we started paying attention was during COVID when the kids had to stay home and the parents started realizing what they were learning at school. And thank God that that happened, but it's not enough. It's it's going to take time to turn this back around. We have, Bernadette, we have colleges right now today teaching pornography as a subject. Colleges. We have uh, colleges teaching queer dance. We have colleges teaching the importance of Beyonce's music. Uh, what are we doing here? Our, our morality has gone um, so extreme. There is really no morality. It's anything goes. We've become a narcissistic society that we all we think about is ourselves and our own pleasures and our own happiness. And if you look at history, we're repeating it. The Roman Empire, why did it fall? All the same reasons that that our society right now is being denigrated. Everybody started thinking about money and themselves and how beautiful they were and and boom their society fell apart the same thing with the greek society all you have to do is look at history and we're following along in that same exact track only just much faster than they did they at least had centuries and centuries to do that we're doing it in a shorter period of time and if you look at what our kids are being taught as you said they're being groomed and indoctrinated to believe in this philosophy of socialism, but not with the real true facts of socialism. They have, they're ignorant about it because they often say, as you brought up about the purchase of farms in the United States. Do you know if you go to Italy, I couldn't purchase property in Italy, even though I'm half Italian, I would have to become an Italian citizen in order to become a, a, a person that owns land in Italy. And that's the same all across the world. But yet we're letting people buy up uh, uh, you know, property in the United States and they're not U.S. citizens. That's a problem. And we're also um, uh, you know, taking away our ability to control our border and allowing citizens in Kids think, oh, it's okay. They're, look, I, I I totally sympathize and understand if the country that people are coming from doesn't treat them well, the opportunities are not there. But guess what? There's a process. I couldn't just go to France right now, walk across the border of France and say, um, I, I want to live here now and I want you to pay all my medical bills. I want you to pay all my expenses. Yeah, just send me to uh, Provence. Yes, I, I would like to go to Provence and I'll stay there until you decide whether I can become a citizen or not legally. No, there's no country in the world. It doesn't have borders. It's a sovereignty that it, it can be able to take care of itself without borders. We're not a country. We're, we would not be a country. We just people just come and go as they want. It makes no sense that we're not uh, protecting our borders. These people, which are enough people to fill five of our smaller states in the United States that have already crossed our border, and we still have two more years of Joe Biden to go. Um, so we already have equaled the population of five of our United States in people coming over the border. These people do not have 
a love for our country. They don't know our country. They don't know our culture. They're not part of our culture. They don't have jobs. They don't have language skills. Uh, many of them are not educated. Many of them are drug dealers and criminals, and they are all beholding to cartels for the money that got them over here. So th there's nothing good about anything I just said. And um, having having worked with child trafficking in the past and understanding that I live right on uh, the child trafficking corridors in Texas, it's very scary to me what's happening. I mean, children are disappearing. Children are uh, being horrifically abused. And we don't talk about it in this country. And we just sit back and take it. And what tells me that more than anything is our recent election. If people understood what was happening, I, I we only have a couple seconds. I'll tell you a quick story, Bernadette. My husband and I were out having dinner with a couple that we didn't know along with some other friends. And so, something came up about that. Uh, they were from Connecticut, but had lived in Martha's Vineyard. And it was right before uh, Governor DeSantis sent some illegals up to Martha's Vineyard. And, and they just, they couldn't understand what the problem was with these people coming over the border because they don't see any problem. And, and I think that a lot of the country feels just the same way. They don't personally see it yet. It was the very next day that, that uh, Ron DeSantis sent a busload up there. And I saw the people the next day and I said, wow, what a difference a day makes, huh? Because you know how fast they got those people out of there. And it's just people are ignoring this, this whole border issue. And unless you, you are in the thick of it, like we are in Texas, it, it hasn't affected you yet, but it's going to affect everybody. And I asked these people, have you had, where you live in Connecticut, have you had a lot of fentanyl deaths? Because I know that they have. And they said, oh, yeah. And I said, where do you think that's coming from? They had no idea. And this is an educated couple working in big markets, you know, in, in, in big jobs in marketing and, and they, they, they just don't pay attention. So I think that that says all that we need to know and we need to pay attention. Uh, we've talked about a lot of things, Bernadette, and I don't know if we've solved everything, but I think that, that with your expertise in law enforcement, uh, you know, is, is what we're trying to do is let people know that, hey, we have these issues, you need to pay attention. Absolutely. And I think people need to remember 9-11. We got attacked by terrorists and there was a small number of them. We've got 5 million people that came across our borders. And let's just say a hundred of them are terrorists. That's a hundred people in our country, two in every single potential state in the United States that could put that, do damage to our citizens. People got to remember and think about that. Well, ladies, that's a wrap. One more step for womankind. 